from every part of the scriptures, Father, I pray you'd help me to be, uh, be able to just preach your word with your power, Lord. Allow your Holy Spirit to do his work. I pray you'd help everybody to be attentive tonight. We love you, Father. In your precious name I pray. Amen. Okay, well, we're there in Genesis chapter number 36. And, uh, you know, keep your bulletin or your finger there in Genesis 36. We're going to be coming back to it. That's going to be our text for tonight. But I'd like you to just quickly go with me to the book, the New Testament book of 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter number 3. 2 Timothy chapter number 3. And look at verse number 16. 2 Timothy, towards the end of your New Testament. 2 Timothy chapter number 3. And look at verse number 16. I don't know if you noticed, but Genesis chapter number 36 is the kind of chapter that most people like to skip when they're uh, reading their Bible or whatever. And you know, at Verity Baptist Church, we just don't do that. We don't skip Scripture, and I would hope, you know, don't be that type of person. Uh, If you're reading through, you know, I like to be able to say, I've read through my Bible cover to cover, I've read every verse in it. And you know, oftentimes people think they get those genealogies, oh, I'm just going to skip that, that's not important. But if you look at 2 Timothy chapter number 3, and you look at verse number 16, the Bible says this, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be truly furnished, may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. The Bible says that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. And sometimes we can get to a chapter like Genesis 36 and have the temptation of, man, you know what, the very next chapter starts Joseph, and that's an exciting story. Let's just skip all this genealogy stuff. And, and you know, we're not going to do a 13-week study of the Genesis 36, but we don't want to skip it either. You know, there is doctrine and things we can learn. And you ought to just understand, when you're reading your Bible or you get to a passage like that, just read it. Read it, because there's doctrine there. The Bible says all Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and it's profitable. For doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto our good works. And we ought to have that attitude that all the Bible is good, all of it is good, and we need all of it. And go back with me to Genesis chapter number 36, and I promise I'm not going to be very long tonight. This morning I preached a little longer than I like to, so I'll make up for it tonight. Genesis chapter number 36. But I'd like you to see the entire chapter, Genesis 36 is all about the sons and descendants of Esau. And primarily, it's teaching us about Esau, one man, became Edom, a nation. If you look there at verse number 1, the Bible says, Now these are the generations of Esau. And it goes through and tells us all his descendants, his children, his grandchildren. And if you look at verse at the second part of the verse there, it says, These are the generations of Esau. And look at this. Who is Edom? Edom is a nation. And Esau, the Bible says, is Edom. Drop down to verse number 8. Look what it says in verse number 8. It says, Thus dwelt Esau in Mount Seir. And look what it says. Esau is Edom. Look at verse number 19. Same chapter. There are the sons of, these are the sons of Esau, who is Edom, and these are their dukes. So they, again, tells us that Esau is Edom. Look at verse number 43, last verse in the chapter. It says, Duke Magdil, Duke Iram, these be the dukes of Edom, according to their habitations and the land of their possessions. And look what it says, 
He is Esau, the father of the Edomites. This entire chapter is just going through, explaining to us how Esau and his children and his grandchildren and his descendants went from Esau to being Edom. Now, uh, you know, to understand you know, the importance of this, because this genealogy is actually repeated again in First uh, Chronicles about Esau and all of this stuff. In order to understand you know, the importance of this chapter, you've got to understand... Who were the people of the nation of Edom? Or what was the nation of Edom? Now, go in your Bible, please, to Numbers. You're there in Genesis. So you've got Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. And go to Numbers, chapter number 20. Numbers, chapter number 20. And look at verse number 14. Numbers, chapter number 20. And look at verse number 14. And let's learn, learn a little bit about... The Edomites, the nation of Edom in the Bible. Numbers chapter number 20, look at verse number 14. The Bible says, And Moses sent messengers from Kadesh unto king of Edom. Now the context here is Moses has led the children of Israel out of Egypt, and they're going, they're heading towards Canaan land, towards the promised land. But in order to be able to cross through Canaan, they've got to pass through the nation of Edom, through the land of Edom there, which are the descendants of Esau. Now, understand this. The nation of Israel are the descendants of Jacob. The nation of Edom are the descendants of Esau. Esau and Jacob were twin brothers. And the Bible says in verse 14, And Moses sent messengers from Kadesh unto the king of Edom, Thus saith thy brother Israel, Thou knowest all the travail that hath befallen us, how our fathers went down into Egypt, and we have dwelt in Egypt a long time, and the Egyptians vexed us and our fathers. And when we cried unto the Lord, He heard our voice and sent an angel, and hath brought us forth out of Egypt. And behold, we are in Kadesh, a city in the uttermost of thy border. Let us pass, I pray thee, through thy country, we will not pass through the fields or through the vineyards, neither will we drink of the waters of the wells. We will go by the king's highway. We will not turn to the right hand nor to the left until we have passed thy border. So you notice they're asking for permission. They're saying, we'll pass through you. So we're not going to go through your fields. We're not going to eat your food. We're not going to drink your water. We're going to stay on the highway. We're not going to get off the highway. We just need to pass through your land. Will you please give us permission to pass through because it would be a lot faster to go that route. Look at verse 18. And Edom said unto him, Thou shalt not pass by me, lest I come out against thee with the sword. And the children of Israel said unto him, We will go by the highway, and if I and my cattle drink of thy water, then I will pay for it. And I will only, and I will only, without doing anything else, go through on my feet. So they're saying, Look, 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 we're not going to eat anything if we drink water. We're, we're, we're going to pay for it if we eat them. We're, gonna, we're just going to go. We're not going to mess with you. Look at verse 20. And he said, Thou shalt not go through. And Edom came out against him with much people and with a strong hand. So you see, the, the first time the nation of Israel meets the nation of Edom, Edom comes out as an enemy of the nation of Israel. Go to 1 Samuel. You're there in Numbers? 1 Samuel. So you go Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel, chapter number 14. 1 Samuel, chapter number 14. And listen, there's 
thousands of uh, verses that have to do with the nation of Edom and the Edomites. I'm just showing you a few just to highlight for you what type of nation this was, what type of people these were. 1 Samuel chapter number 14, look at verse number 47. 1 Samuel chapter number 14, look at verse number 47. The Bible says, 1 Samuel 14, 47, So Saul took the kingdom over Israel and fought against all his enemies on every side, against Moab and against the children of Ammon and against Edom and against the kings of Zobah and against the Philistines. And whithersoever he turned himself, he vexed him. So you see there, when God gives us a lineup of the enemies of Israel, the nation of Edom is right there in that lineup. Letting us know that the nation of Edom were enemies of the children of Israel. Go to Ezekiel. If you find those major prophets towards the end of the New Testament, you find those big books of the prophets. You got Isaiah, uh, Jeremiah, then you got the small book of Lamentations, and then you have Ezekiel. Ezekiel is a large book towards the end of your Old Testament. Ezekiel chapter number 25. Ezekiel chapter number 25. Look at verse number 14. Ezekiel chapter number 25, and look at verse number 14. The Bible says in Ezekiel 25, 14, look at what the Bible says about this nation. It says, and I will lay my vengeance, this is God speaking, He says, I will lay my vengeance upon Edom, by the hand of my people Israel, and they shall do in Edom according to mine anger, and according to my fury, and they shall know my vengeance, saith the Lord God. Go to Malachi, chapter number 1. Malachi, very last book in the Old Testament. Very last book in the Old Testament. You go right before the New Testament, you find the book of Malachi. Malachi, chapter number 1, look at verse number 4. Malachi, chapter number 1, look at verse 4. The Bible says, Whereas Edom saith, We are impoverished, but we will return and build the desolate places... Thus saith the Lord of hosts, They shall build, but I will throw down. They shall call them the borders of wickedness, and the people against whom the Lord hath indignation forever. Now, I wanted to show you those verses, because I wanted to paint a picture for you, that the children of Edom were not a nice nation. They were not a good nation. From the moment the children of Edom were introduced to the children of Israel, they came out as enemies. They refused to let them to pass through. And throughout the entire history of the nation of Edom, they are fighting with the children of Israel. They are fighting with the children of God. We see there in the prophets, the prophets are constantly calling out the nation of Edom, prophesying against Edom, calling God's judgment on Edom. And this nation of Edom were all descendants of Esau. Now here's the interesting thing. Esau's grandfather was Abraham. Think about how close you are in relationship to your grandfather. Me, I'm not talking talking about a great uncle or a great, great, great grandfather or something. You know, I mean, your grandfather, most people know their grandfather, their grandmother very well. And Esau's grandfather was one of the greatest men of faith in the Bible, the patriarch Abraham. Esau's father was another one of the patriarchs, Isaac. I mean, Esau grew up in a godly family, in a godly home. And the Bible tells us, and in this chapter, we get some insight, in Genesis 36, we get some insight as to how this young man grew up to be an ungodly and an unbeliever after being raised in a godly home. 
You know, the, the title of the sermon, and I don't know that I really have a title for the sermon tonight, but the, the title of the, uh, the sermon could be this, How to Raise an Unbeliever in a Christian Home. Or, How to Raise an Unbelieving Generation in a Supposedly Christian Nation. Because Esau had every opportunity. Esau had every chance. Esau had every right to be a godly person. We understand that Esau sold his birthright and God had chosen Jacob to, you know, uh, to have the descendants of the children of Israel, to have the Messiah come through Jacob and have, you know, the King David and all those people come through Jacob and, and Jesus Christ the Messiah. We understand that. But Esau still could have been a godly person. Esau still could have been a godly uh, seed. Esau still could have been mightily used of God and, 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 and mightily, you know, uh, have the blessing and the power of God. But instead, the Bible tells us that Esau was an unbeliever, and even worse than that, he was a reprobate. You don't have to turn there, you can if you'd like, but let me read for you out of Hebrews in the uh, New Testament, Hebrews chapter number 12, and if you'd like to turn there, you can go to verse number 16, but let me read for you these verses, Hebrews chapter number 12, and look at verse number 16 if you'd like to read it with me. The Bible says this about Esau, Lest there be any fornications or profane persons, as Esau who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright, for ye know how that afterward, when he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. The Bible says that as a fornicator and a profane person, Esau was rejected of God. And, he found, and we've done this study before, I won't take time to do it, but rejected in the Bible means reprobate. If you're a reprobate, you're rejected. If you're rejected, you're a reprobate. This is someone who has lost their opportunity to be saved. They've crossed a line that God says, I will no longer give you a chance to be saved. He says, I rejected them. He says in verse 17, For ye know that afterward, when he would have inherited the blessing... He was rejected, for he found no place of repentance. So he tried to repent. He tried to go back. He tried to get, you know, get it. But he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. The Bible tells us that Esau was such a wicked man, that even though he tried to go back to God, God said, no, you're rejected. And you ask the question, how did Esau get here? I mean, for weeks now, as we've been preaching through the life of Jacob, we've been contrasting Esau and Jacob. And how do you get a godly man, a believer in Jesus Christ, not perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but someone who lived for God, someone who had a family that ended up being used so mightily of God, and then you've got Esau, whose descendants became the children of Edom, some of the most wicked people in, we read about in the Bible. And both Jacob and Esau were twin brothers, born at the same time to the same family, grew up together, and were raised to be so ungodly and unright. You say, how does that happen? Well, I'd like to just give you some, very quickly tonight, just three points on how to raise an ungodly generation from a Christian home. You're there in Genesis chapter number 36, look at verse number 1. In Genesis chapter number 36, look at verse number 1, the Bible says, now these are the generations of Esau with Edom. Esau, look what it says in verse 2, took his wives of the daughters of Canaan. Now listen, the daughters of Canaan are wicked 
is the, the people in Canaan are wicked. These are not the children of Israel. The children of Israel will not take over the nation of Canaan for, you know, for many, many years. You know, we, they, they, they will be in, in Egypt for 400 years before, they, before Moses comes out and brings them out of Egypt and then they run around the desert there for 40 years before Joshua takes them in to take over the nation of Canaan. Up to this point, the daughters of the nation of Canaan are a bunch of heathen people. They're a bunch of pagan people. And the Bible says that Esau took his wives of the daughters of Canaan, Ada, the daughter of Elon, the Hittite, another ungodly nation. And Aholibema, the daughter of Ana, the daughter of Zibian, the Hivite, another ungodly nation. And Bashemath, Ishmael's daughter, sister of Nebajah. So he took Ishmael's daughter, who was another ungodly person. And point number one is this. If you want to raise an ungodly generation or an unbeliever or a reprobate from a Christian home, number one, allow them to develop unhealthy relationships. Allow them to develop unhealthy relationships. They are in Genesis 36. Go back to Genesis chapter number 28. Look at verse number 9. Genesis chapter number 28. Look at verse number 9 in Genesis 28. If you remember, in Genesis 28, Jacob has already stolen the blessing of Esau. And Isaac has blessed Jacob and sent them out to Panoram to marry one of Rebekah's family members because they didn't want him to marry a daughter of the nation of Canaan. And if you look at verse number 8, the Bible says, And Esau, seeing that the daughters of Canaan pleased not Isaac his father, then went Esau unto Ishmael and took unto the wives which he had Mahalath, the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son, the sister of Nebajah, to be his wife. Do you see that? So, Isaac says to Jacob, Jacob, I don't want you to marry one of the daughters of Canaan. I want you to go to Panoram and find a wife over there, you have the family of your mo- mother, Rebecca, and I want you to, 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 to get a wife from, from that country, because I don't want you to marry one of the daughters of Canaan, because they're ungodly, they're heathen, they're pagan. And Esau, when he heard that, when he saw that, and the Bible says, when he saw that the daughters of Canaan pleased not Isaac his father, then he went out and he, and he married those girls. He dated those girls. And let me tell you something. Friendships and romantic relationships with worldly, ungodly Unbelievers will help you raise a generation of people that are going to end up being ungodly. And you think, you know, these people ought to be right. Esau's children ought to be in church. They ought to be serving God. They ought to be doing righteous things. How did Esau become Edom? How did a grandfather, of, uh, a grandson of Abraham, the son of Isaac, become such an ungodly person that he was so bad that God even rejected him before he died? God even said, you've lost your opportunity. He said, how does that happen? Number one, he began to develop unhealthy relationships. And let me tell you something. In your life and in my life, we ought to be very careful and guard very much who we allow to become our friends and who we allow to become our relationship and who we allow to influence us. You know, there's a, an old saying saying, you know, show me who your friends are and I will show you who you will be. And that's the truth. You watch kids that live for God, they, you know, they're, they're, they're raised in a Christian home, and they're living for God, and they're doing right. 
They didn't get into the middle school age or the high school age or the college age or whatever age and they start hanging around with people that are doing wrong, people that are in gangs, people that are smoking weed, that are drinking alcohol and stuff. And guess what? That's what they start doing. Because you start hanging around people, Esau. You start, you know, in order to, to marry one of the children of Canaan, that means you got to spend time with the children of Canaan. That means you got to start getting to know the children of Canaan. That means you got to start, you know, hanging out with the children of Canaan. That, that means you first develop friendships and relationships with the children of Canaan. And then you end up married to them, you know. And it's our job to make sure, you know, our social life ought to revolve around Christianity. Around believers. Around godly people. You know, we ought not have friends who are ungodly. And, and I'm not saying you ought to be friendly. And, and, you know, I'm kind and polite when I'm out and about at work and different places. You know, with people, I'm nice to, uh, to you know, people that aren't saved. And I'm very friendly and I'm cordial. But those aren't my friends. When I have time to spend, you know, I don't spend uh, a lot of time with people who don't love God and love the Word of God. And love, the, you know, when, when I spend time with people, I want to make sure I'm spending time with people that love God. Because allowing yourself or allowing your children or allowing a generation of young people to develop unhealthy relationships is going to destroy those kids. Go to James chapter number 4 in the New Testament. James <clears throat> chapter number 4. You find the book of Hebrews. James is right after the book of Hebrews. James chapter number 4. Look at verse number 4. James Towards the end of your New Testament, if you find First, Second Peter, First, Second, and Third John, Jude, and Revelation, you've gone too far. James chapter number four. Look at verse number four. The Bible says, "Ye adulterers and adulteresses." Look at what it says. Read it very carefully. Know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? That word enmity there is talking about being an enemy. God says that friendship of the world is enmity with God. Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Isn't that an interesting verse? Bible says you start palling around and you start becoming friends and you start becoming, you know, intimate in relationships with people that are of this world. And God says at that very moment you just positioned yourself as an enemy of God. Now I don't know about you, but the last thing I want to be is an enemy of God. I need, I need God. Like we were preaching this morning about the Holy Spirit. I need the power of God. I need the help of God. Put me to 1 John chapter number 2. You're there in James. Just keep going towards the right. In your New Testament, 1 John chapter number 2, look at verse number 15. 1 John chapter number 2, look at verse number 15. 1 John 2, 15 says this, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. The Bible says, love not the world. He says, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. We need to be careful. Like we're preaching this morning, if we're going to be a spirit-filled people, if we're going to be a people of God that have the power of God and the Spirit of God, you're going to have to be careful who you allow your friends to be. Who you allow in your 
circle of influence, who you allow to influence you, and who you allow, you know, your children or, or some people you care about. The, the first step that dragged Esau in the process of becoming Edom is that he began to develop unhealthy relationships with worldly people and he ended up marrying a bunch of heathen, pagan, worldly girls. I said number one, allow them to develop unhealthy relationships. Number two, allow them to develop unhealthy priorities. Allow them to develop unhealthy priorities. You're there in Genesis chapter 36, look at verse number 6. Genesis chapter number 36, look at verse number 6. The Bible says, And Esau took his wives, and his sons, and his daughters, and all the persons of his house, and his cattle, and all his beasts, and all his substance, which he had got in the land of Canaan, and went into the country from the face of his brother Jacob, for their riches were more than than that they might dwell together. And the land wherein they were strangers could not bear them because of their cattle. Thus dwelt Esau in Mount Seir. Esau is Edom. Now, understand a few things. Esau's father is Isaac. Esau's father, grandfather is Abraham. I can promise you that Esau grew up from a little boy hearing the stories about how God called his grandfather, Abraham, out of the Ur of the Chaldees, and sent him into a land that he would give him for a possession, the land of Canaan. I can promise you that Esau grew up hearing the great stories about Abraham being a pilgrim, and living in tents, and, and, and traveling towards that land that God had promised you. I can promise you that Esau understood, as he grew up with his, son Isaac, with his father Isaac, that, that God had given him that land, and Esau probably heard the stories that his dad Isaac told about when Abraham was going to sacrifice him, and God stopped him, and he showed him that miracle there, and he did all those great things, and, and Esau heard all these great things, and Esau heard how God had promised that he would send the Messiah, and how God had promised, you know, that when Abraham was getting ready to kill Isaac, you know, that he said, the Lord shall prepare himself a lamb, and that would be Jesus Christ, and Esau had heard that the land of Canaan was going to be a possession of God, and God was going to give it to their inheritance, and Esau heard that, and Esau was living in Canaan, and he decided to move away from Canaan. Isn't that crazy? I mean... Esau is living in the nation, in the place that God told him, I will bless, I will give you this land, it will be a possession. He's already living there. And he moves away to Mount Seir, where ungodly people live. And here's why, here's why he moved, for financial reasons. The Bible says in verse 7, for their riches were more than they might dwell together. And the land wherein they were strangers could not bear them because of their cattle. They had too much stuff to dwell together. Thus, that's referring to verse 7. So because of this, because their riches were more than they might dwell together, thus dwelt Esau in Mount Seir. Esau is Edom. So Esau packs up and moves away from the promised land because of money. You know, let, let me just give you some advice. Don't ever... Make a decision based on money. Period. Do you remember? And you may, you know, you read the book of Ruth. In fact, let's go to Ruth. Go with me to Ruth. 
if you can, you know, you're there in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, and then you have there Ruth. Ruth chapter number one. Look at verse number one. Ruth chapter number one. Look at verse number one. You may, I don't know if you're familiar with the book of Ruth. But the Bible says in Ruth chapter number 1 and verse 1, the Bible says, Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land. And a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to sojourn in the country of Moab. Now Moab is an ungodly place. But the Bible says that a man who lived in Bethlehem, Judah, he lives in Canaan land, he lives in Israel, he actually lives in the same city that the Lord Jesus Christ is going to be born in. But because there was a famine in the land, he moved to Moab, an ungodly nation. Do you see that? He went to sojourn. That means he went to live in the country of Moab. He and his wife and his two sons. And the name of the man was Elimelech. And the name of his wife, Naomi. And the name of his two sons, Malon and Chilion, Ephrathites of Bethlehem, Judah. And they came into the country of Moab and continued there. And Elimelech and Naomi's husband died and she was left and her two sons. Go to verse number uh, 13. Look at verse number 13. To make a long story short, I won't, you know, one day we'll preach through every verse of the book of Ruth. And Ruth is an exciting book. But they get there. They, they leave the promised land because of a famine. There's more money in Moab. There's better jobs in Moab. There's more to do in Moab. So they move to Moab. The first thing that happens in Moab is the, the husband died. Next thing that happens, the two boys get married. And then the two boys die. And Naomi comes back with one of her daughter-in-law, Ruth, who is the main character in the book of Ruth, obviously. But when she comes back to the nation of Israel, look at verse 13. It says, what do you... It says, would you tarry for them till they were grown? Would you stay for them from having husbands? Nay, my daughter, for it grieved me much. Notice what she says. It grieved me much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord is gone out against me. You see that? Here's a family, a good family, who decided to move for a financial purpose. And the Bible says that the hand of the Lord came against them. And really that's what happened to Esau. You go back to to Genesis 36. Esau moved, and so often people, they make this, you know, uh, I got a job offer in a different state. Oh man, you, you better know, you, you, you should know, it. it's, be, it's bigger, better benefits, it, it, it's more money, you know, I'm going to get more vacation time, it's a bigger office, you know, it's, it, it's all, I'm, walking, I'm going up that corporate ladder. And it's like, yeah, but uh, is there a church there? Well, I, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure they're. I mean, they're a good church. It's going to preach the Bible. It's going to, you know, uh, preach the, the Bible in its context and preach the Word of God and teach you and feed you. You know, people. And when we make these choices, we buy things, we do things, and we base it all on money. And God says, you know, the love of money is the root of all evil. And I'll tell you what. I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I personally wouldn't move somewhere unless I knew there was a good church there that's going to be able to help me and feed me and feed my family and you better believe it I'm just not going to go somewhere and just oh hopefully there's a church there maybe there is maybe there isn't I don't know but we get ourselves in trouble when we make decisions based on money and you know what Esau was teaching his children money is the most important thing riches are the most important thing and he had the wrong priority And he said, even if you're living in the land that God promised He would bless, that God promised His people would inhabit, it's a good enough reason to leave 
Canaan land, the promised land for riches. And what, what, was, what was the problem? He developed unhealthy perspectives. He did not understand that being close to God and close to the Word of God was more valuable than having money. You say, well, we got too much cattle. We can't live together. Sell some of it. Do what you got to do. Make it work. But don't get away from the presence of God. Let me show you an example. A good example of this. Hebrews 11. I, you can find there Hebrews. You were already in James. Hebrews 11. Look at Hebrews 11, chapter, uh, verse 24. Hebrews 11, verse 24. You know, if you're ever making a big decision in your life and you're basing it on money, you're making the wrong choice. I'm telling you right now. The love of money is the root of all evil. That's what the Bible says. Hebrews chapter number 11, if you can find it there. Hebrews chapter number 11, while you're turning there, I'll read for you out of 1 Timothy chapter number 6. In verse 9, the Bible says, But they that will be rich... The Bible says, they that will be rich. That will there is talking about they're willing, or they, it's their will to be rich. They want to be rich. You know, you've you heard of these get-rich-quick schemes, you know, these infomercials. Or, oh, just buy this product, and we're going to teach you how to be rich, you know. The Bible says, but they that will be rich. Now look, there's nothing wrong with being rich. But there is something wrong with having a desire to be rich. When that's all you think, well, I just want to be rich. I just want to make, you know, I, I know a business people say, I'm just going to make a million dollars. That's my goal in life. Make a million dollars. I've heard of people say, I'm going to make a million dollars before I'm 30 years old. That's my goal. That's a bad goal. Bible says, but they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition for the love of money is the root of all evil which while some coveted after have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. And I want you to notice the Bible does not say that the, you know, oftentimes people misquote this and they'll say, you know, money is the root of all evil. No, no, no. Money is not the root of all evil. The love of money is the root of all evil. Money in and of itself is not bad. It's when you begin to love that money. You're there in Hebrews, chapter number 11. Look at verse number 24. Hebrews 11.24. The Bible says, in Hebrews 11.24, By faith, Moses... Now let me ask you this. Was Moses a good character in the Bible or a bad character? Moses was a great character. Moses was one of the godliest men who ever lived. I mean, I would love to raise a Moses, wouldn't you? I'd love to have a church family filled with a bunch of teenage Moseses and future Moseses and, and Moses females, you know. Look at verse 24. But, but look, look, at, look at Moses' perspectives, priorities, compared to Esau's. By faith, Moses, when he was come to years, that's mean when he grew up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Remember, Moses was raised in Pharaoh's household. Moses had all the riches. He was a prince of Egypt. All the riches, all the money, all he could want. And the Bible says he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Look at verse 25. Choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Isn't that amazing? 
The exact opposite, priorities and perspective. Esau chose to leave the children of God to go pursue riches. Moses chose to forsake riches, forsake wealth, forsake fame, royalty. And he chose rather to suffer the afflictions of the people of God. And who and who's who would you rather be in heaven? Moses? Or Esau, who we saw in the Bible, never even made it to heaven. Burning in hell right now. I said, number one, how do we raise an ungodly generation in a Christian home or a Christian nation? Number one, you allow them to develop unhealthy relationships. Number two, you allow them to develop unhealthy perspectives or priorities. Number three... you allow them to develop those unhealthy perspectives. I'm sorry, the, the, the second... I got that confused. I was looking at the thing. The, the second point was unhealthy priorities. The third point is unhealthy perspectives. Go to Genesis 36. Look at verse 31. Genesis 36, look at verse number 31. So I said unhealthy... Relationships, unhealthy priorities. Now let's look at unhealthy perspectives. Genesis 36, verse number 31, the Bible says this. And these are the kings that reigned in the land of Edom. And notice, notice, nothing in the Bible is there just for fluff. There's a reason why it's there. He gave us this list of all their princes, right? Duke this, duke that, duke this, duke that. That's a, that's a royalty term. You know, they're saying Esau had these sons, and they were rich, they had all this, they were royalty, they were princes, they had nations, they had cities, they had this, they had it. Look at verse 31. And these are the kings that reigned in the land of Edom, before there reigned any king over the children of Israel. Two, two thoughts on this. Number one. It almost seems like that's added on to let us know Esau almost had this arrogance about him. Oh yeah, Jacob? Stole my birthright, huh? Stole my blessing, huh? You're chosen of God, huh? God, God says that He's going to use you and He's going to bless you and the Abrahamic covenant came down to you. And Esau's almost saying, look at my grandkids. Think about it. While, and we're going to be studying, you know, where next week we're starting a new series, you know, continuing in Genesis, but we're going to be going into, transitioning into the life of, of Joseph. And if you're familiar with the life of Joseph, while Jacob and his twelve sons are starving of a famine in Canaan land, while Jacob and his twelve sons and their, 70, their family there of seventy goes into Egypt to be taken care of by Joseph, who is now second in command of, the children, uh, of Egypt, because they cannot care for themselves. While the children of Israel, the descendants of Israel, begin to populate and grow in, the children, in, in Egypt, and become so large that the Pharaoh of Egypt enslaves them, and makes them slaves for four hundred years, the children of Israel, the children of Jacob, are slaves in Egypt. The children of Esau are princes, ruling nations, ruling kingdoms, with many riches. 
And the average young person would look at that and say, I don't want to serve God. Why would I want to serve God? Look what happens to the children of God. Esau had it right. You allow young people to develop unhealthy perspectives and they're gonna, you, and we're going to raise a bunch of unbelievers in Christian homes. And by the way, we've raised a bunch of unbelievers in this Christian nation that we live in, so-called. Go to Romans chapter 8. We're done. Let me show you one thing. Say, well, say, well, uh, yeah. I mean, good night. Why would I want to be in Jacob's camp and be enslaved when I could be in Esau's camp? And be a duke. Be a prince. You say, well, see, here's your intent. You've got the wrong perspective. You're not looking at it right. See, you're looking at it from here, from earth. We must see everything in, in, in eternal, eter, eternity's sight. Look at verse number 18, Romans chapter number 8. Verse 18, we're done here. Look at what Paul said. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. See, the world looks at us and says, why would I want to be a Christian? Why would I want to serve God? Why would I want to... Look at the great... I'm doing better than Christians. I got more money. I got more freedoms. I can do this. I can do that. I can go there. I, I, you know, I got it made. While well, you Christians, you know, you're, you're praying for God, fasting, asking Him to help you while you're enslaved. While you're defeated, while you're in ruins, yeah, but you don't understand. You know, the worst day of a Christian's life is better than the best day of an unbeliever's life because at the end of it all, you will spend eternity in heaven while they spend eternity in hell. That's why Moses chose to suffer the afflictions of the people of God rather than enjoy the pleasures of sin for the season. Because that's just it. The pleasures of sin are exactly for a season. For a moment in time. And Paul said, the, one of the greatest missionaries who ever lived, Paul who was beaten with rods, Paul who was literally stoned to death and God resurrected him from that, Paul who was whipped of the Jews 40 times, you know, 40 different whips on multiple occasions. Paul, who had been beaten. Paul, who had been shipwrecked. Paul, who had, you know, gone without food and, and been in perils and all sorts of different things. Who was imprisoned multiple times. Paul said this, I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy. They're not worthy to be compared with the glory which will be revealed. You know what he was saying? He was saying this, Esau, it's worth it. Go ahead and make fun of us. Go ahead and say, oh, I'd rather serve the devil and the devil's crowd does better. And that's not true. Because anything that you go through here is not even worth mentioning to God up there. It's, it's not even worth bringing up. Once you get to heaven, look, whatever you went through, whatever struggle you went through, yeah, my life was so tough, I went through all these struggles, I had to deal with all these things. Look, when you get to heaven, you're going to say, it's not even worth it. It's not even worth bringing it up. Because the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. And you've got to understand that if we're going to raise a godly generation, 
If Verity Baptist Church is going to be used of God to raise godly kids and godly Christians and mature Christians, we're not going to do that while we allow them and we, you know, uh, encourage them to develop unhealthy relationships, unhealthy priorities, and unhealthy perspectives. Now, I don't know if you noticed this, but just by the way, all those things, unhealthy relationships, being friends with the world, unhealthy priorities, making decisions based on money and, and putting money at a higher priority than godliness, the unhealthy perspectives of looking at things from the earthly view and saying, oh man, it's not worth it to serve God. All those things are very natural. They don't really need to be taught, but they need to be fought against. And they happen to you and I just as much as children and teenagers. And if you're going to live for God, I'm not saying, I mean, if you're saved, you're saved forever. That's never going to end. But if you're going to do something for God, you're going to have to fight against those things. Because Esau, who had every opportunity to live for God, ended up becoming the father of one of the worst nations who ever lived. And we can learn there three things about Esau in that passage. You know, you're reading and thinking to yourself, good night, what are we going to do with this, right? Man, there's a lot of doctrine there. A lot of things to learn. We've got to make sure we stay right. Hey, like we're preaching this morning, we've got to walk in the Spirit and not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Let's bow our heads and have a wonderful day.